God. Mr. Barnabas Grayson, the meek, the holy, and blessed. Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> nice, sunshiny day, and I think some parts like the Northeast, like uh, Boston, Harriet, are still having snow. And so it's a sign of good things to come here, at least, if the weather doesn't change, and you know how that goes here in Oklahoma. What uh, gets my attention, too, is to see those uh, daffodils starting to sprout up. Today, the sermon is about the meek, the holy, and the blessing. The blessing that comes from being meek and holy. We read in the Psalm 37 11 where it says, we see this promise made to the meek, that the meek shall inherit the earth. If we don't have much in our inheritance right now, or we don't have much of an inheritance to look forward to in this earthly life, we see this as a very great promise made to the meek and to the holy. So we are blessed by reading these words. In Psalm 149, we also read, verse 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Some of us may remember, too, the promise that Jesus made over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, <clears throat> where he promises that the meek shall inherit the earth. That's the thing that we look forward to, that hope, the establishment of the coming kingdom of God at that time. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, said Isaiah. And like all of the other prophets who have made uh, prophecies, and along with those prophecies that are dire, They've also promised that there will come blessing. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2 in verse, uh, chapter 61. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. And three, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So based on the meekness, based on the holiness that we have, we have this great promise that there will, uh, the spirit of heaviness is going to be lifted, especially to those who are brokenhearted. So we have that future to look forward to. But blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth is, is a great promise. We know that Moses was meek, but God used him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of which is a, uh, uh, identified with sin. Jesus also was meek, but he was brave enough to suffer the penalty of death in our sake. So we might associate meekness with weakness, but we have to be meek 
It has to be something that we are practicing because we too may be needed in, at some future time because this meekness is going to be something that goes along with us with all the other fruits of the Spirit like joy and happiness and so on. So meek is a word that denotes gentle and mild and it is closely linked with the, the word humility. First of all, we see it as meekness toward God. And some, of course, may object to that kind of meekness. They don't want to be meek, especially if you're meek, someone's going to you know, run you over. But as we find in the scriptures, meekness is the power, the fruit of power. As we, as we will read. We know that it is the uh, opposite of assertiveness. It is the opposite of self-interest. And we are commended as Christians to, to have this attitude of heart and mind. It's a popular concept to hate your enemy. It was in Jesus' day. It is in our day also. Like whoever slaps you on the cheek, you know, turn to him the other cheek and let him do the same thing. And we read that in uh, Matthew 5, 39, turn, the, turn your uh, cheek, but in verse 44, I say unto you to love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you. And persecute you. So some of us at various times in our life. May have experienced some adversity. From friends or family about some of these things. In which we might want to. Uh, if they slap us. We might just want to slap them back. But that's not the attitude that we want to have. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 says. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls because when you're carrying around a lot of this hatred in your heart you're not carrying around the meekness for and this gentleness you're not going to have rest in your soul you might be planning to do uh, more harm than what was uh, bent toward you now we've heard in the sermons past sermons you know what the yoke is it's, it's a wooden frame that uh, beast of burden used to plow together and so this we have this being yoked to Christ in the same way take my yoke upon you, uh, you learn of me for I am meek and by being yoked to Christ means we must rely on him to share our burdens so we have to accept the necessity of walking with Christ with him side by side without him we can do nothing can I get through this world without him? And some of us have found that out. When we have a trial or a persecution or something troublesome in our life, we go to him in prayer for him to walk beside us. Now, we might have riches, we might have powerful friends, but it will never be enough to keep, uh, to keep calm in our heart and hope in our heart because the pressures and tensions of life can really take a lot out of you but having this meekness walking with him also brings to us a peace 
that follows all of it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, starting verse 10, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. So that's included with all of these things that Christ wants us to be. And sometimes we just do not measure up to all that at times. When we need righteousness, we sometimes fall into unrighteousness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. So that's the reason where we see this scripture. To fight the good fight of faith. Because that way we can lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are also called. And have professed a good uh, profession before many witnesses. The times when we have counseled or talked to someone about baptism. About repentance and all of that. We, and then we're baptized, it is before many witnesses. And we know that the angels leap for joy over the repentance of one, of one person. But sometimes the craving to get rich, to have money, can lead to temptation. Unseen traps that, that just lie in wait for the rich to fall into due to their own pride or and things that cause them to even want more than what they have. And the danger is that for us, no matter what it might be, a material gain or some kind of wealth that we're trying to pursue, that it can choke off our spiritual fruit that we are to bear. So we know that the, if you're greedy, you're going to follow after material things. We're going to set our heart on them, and that's going to distract us from the calling the follow, and following Christ. Of course, this doesn't mean that we should go without, you know, something to live on. But it also says that we should also be storing up treasures in heaven, bearing those fruits so that when we are there in the kingdom of God, that we have these things going for us. So Colossians um, uh, chapter 3 verse 1 through 12, starting verse 12, no, starting verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, so we can ask ourselves, are we risen with Christ? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. <clears throat> Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Things that we should do is just to mortify, <clears throat> therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. So those words that we read, those fruits of the uh, flesh, 
at some time or another was a part of our life until we decided we would turn around and follow Jesus Christ because God has forgiven us and we walk with Christ in which you also walked sometime when you lived in them but now you also put up all these so when you're baptized when you're committed when you've repented and you're following Christ we got to still put off some of these things and it lists those in verse 8 anger wrath malice blasphemy <clears throat> filthy communication out of your mouth lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the thing after the image of him that created him where there is neither greek nor jew circumcision or uncircumcision barbarian scythian bond or free but christ is in all verse 12 put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long suffering. So we see this word meekness coming up all the time in a lot of the uh, along the fruits that we are to be bearing. Verse 13 forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. So also do you. And above all these things. Put on charity. Which is a bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body. And be ye thankful. So be thankful for all these things. Thankful for the calling. For that opportunity. For the spirit to dwell in us. Zephaniah. Chapter 2. Verse 3. It says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth. Seek ye the Lord, which have wrought his judgment. That is, we have taken on his spirit. We've taken on the things that he wants us to grow in grace and in knowledge of. And to seek righteousness. And again, to seek meekness. It may be, it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Over in Leviticus. Chapter 11. He says. I am the Lord. That bringeth you up. Out of the land of Egypt. The, this word bringeth. Is still an ongoing thing. I am the Lord that brings you. Up out of the land of Egypt so not only did he bring the physical Israelites out of Egypt but he is also bringing those who are called out out of the land of Egypt out of the land of sin called to uh, to be your God you shall uh, <coughs> therefore be holy be holy said God for I am holy so are we a holiness church are we a holy people are we the meek of the earth as Passover comes along you know the command or the statement the advice is that we should examine ourselves to look at ourselves 
because sometimes we uh, all these things that we're supposed to be aren't bearing fruit. But holiness is, is a general term that indicates sanctity, that is, separation from all that is sinful, from all that is impure, or morally imperfect. Is there things in our life that we need to separate from, like these things that we uh, see that holiness keeps us uh, from? So we also find this term holiness in reference to people and it, to places and also to things. Being sanctified is just being set apart, set apart unto the eternal from the world. But why do we need holiness? And why be holy? How can a person be holy? Again, the words, be holy, for I am holy, said the Lord. This word holiness is a Greek word, hygiosmos. And it is the, the state that we're to, uh, supposed to be in predetermined by the eternal for believers to be set apart to God. And so we see that we are to be like him, called to holiness, called to be holy, set apart. And so we have this uh, word holy, which comes from that word of holiness. And it's, uh, I'm trying to uh, see how to pronounce it, hagios. And all it means is saints. That's where we get the name saints or holy. But in this age, we know <coughs> that there are unholy people. There are unholy things. There are unholy places. Perhaps we know of those things. First Samuel chapter 2, we have read that there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside him, neither is there any rock like our God. But we know that we fall short of the perfection that is in Christ. But we have Jesus, we have Christ, we have his word to keep lifting us up, to keep leading us out of this land of sin. In him is no sin. He hates sin. And we can hate the people that are, when they sin, but it's the sin that God hates. The people are just misled in different ways. But we know that sin is a transgression of the law, unrepented of, and the penalty is death. Exodus chapter 19, God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests. Called them to be a holy nation, a holy people. And he established a covenant with them that included this plan of holiness. And that was to follow the Ten Commandments that would make them holy. Also the laws and the statutes that would make them holy. They were to be a holy people if they did those things. A holy nation. Leviticus chapter 11 so we see uh, a list of things. I'm not going to read through that whole chapter. But 
he, he said to Moses and Aaron that they were to eat only certain things and to do uh, certain things in the temple. And that because they didn't follow the exact instructions that God gave, they were destroyed, devoured by fire. But in these things, we are to be holy. We see what is called the law of beast. You know, that's the clean and the unclean uh, food, then unclean creatures. We're to be holy if we keep the Sabbath or keep the holy days or keep the commandments to make a difference between the clean, unclean and the clean. We're supposed to do those things. When we look at uh, the beast that may be eaten, we see that there are certain things that can be eaten that God is blessed that, that is not blessed. But how is this holiness connected to what is clean and unclean. Now when we sit down to a meal, I think we are reminded of the holiness of the Lord our God because how he set us apart, that he set in front of us the things that make us holy in his eyes because of our obedience to his laws. And he keeps us mindful when we eat, whether it's three times a day or maybe one meal, we are uh, reminded that we are a holy people that God has given us holy things to do so of course some you know think this is just a ceremonial thing meant for a long time ago and for a particular people and some refer to the words of Jesus when he said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him but what comes out of the heart what he says what he does now, this is in the context of the uh, scribes and the Pharisees who were of Jerusalem and were saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread or eat food. And Christ answered, and he said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So he is speaking of this washing of hands as a tradition. You can read verses 4 through 9, where in verse 9 he says, In vain do they worship me, keeping for commandments doctrines of men. And he called the multitude, said unto them, Hear and understand, listen up, that is. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. And so his disciples said to him, uh, to Christ, do you know the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And so, skipping to verse 15, he answered uh, Peter, and he said, uh, Peter said unto him, declare unto us this parable. You know, tell us, Tell us more about this parable. What does it mean? And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not you yet understand that whosoever, whatsoever enters in the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the drop? But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes forth from the heart, and they defile the man. So it's speaking in the context of these Pharisees in their tradition of the washing of hands. Not because they didn't see Jesus eating unclean food. They just said, uh, saw that he wasn't 
doing the tradition of the fathers, and that was just to wash their hands before they had a meal. But some use that as saying, well, you can eat pork, you can eat those unclean things. We see that in verse first, in first Corinthians chapter 3, that the Apostle Paul sometimes had a difficulty in explaining spiritual things to those who were unspiritual. The scripture is, you know, is pretty well made clear to those who understand the scripture. But when they don't read the scripture or know the scripture, it, they, it can be very hard to explain or declare unto them a parable or a meaning that might be behind a, a scripture. So he had uh, to speak to the Corinthians as people who were still following the ways of the world. See, they were new in Christ, but they were still babes. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for you were not able to bear it. Not even now are you able. Now, these were called, they were called to be holy. They were given the Holy Spirit. And we find where he said, you're the temple of, of God. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, Paul said, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So we look at ourselves as the temple that holds, that houses the Spirit of God, the character of God, all of those things, gentleness, goodness, meekness. You are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But, you know, those in Corinth, uh, they were dwelling in a place where there were unholy people. There were unholy places. There were unholy things. But the apostle tells them that they are to obey God, not bring anything to, into the temple that is into their spirit, into their heart, into their soul, their mind, their body, because those things could destroy them, ruin them. Because in verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So we need to take these words to heart because God is giving us the exact thing that makes us holy unto him. The Holy Spirit within the temple that is our mind, our heart, our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, verse 20. Now, what are the, some of these things that can defile us if we let these things into our heart, our mind, and our soul? It says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Do we have evil thoughts, evil thinking, evil surmising? Out of the heart proceed murders. Do we have hatred for a brother or someone else? Do we have adulteries? Are there fornications? Are there thefts, stealing? Are there false witness, lyings, and blasphemies, taking the name of the Lord in vain? These things make us unholy before our Lord, our God. And these things can defile a man, but to eat with unwashing on washing hands, defiles not a man. So the Pharisees, <coughs> seeing Jesus and the disciples eating with unwashed hands, said, well, why do you defy, defy the tradition of washing hands before you eat? Now, you, we know the Pharisees, they, they knew the difference between the clean and the unclean. 
They knew the clean and unclean foods, and they weren't getting after Jesus for eating something unclean. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 8, And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. So we see how the children of Israel were led by all these powerful things, supernatural things that led them out of that land. And he has brought us unto this place, has given us this land, even the land that flows with milk and honey. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us as you swear unto our fathers a land that flows with milk and honey. So if we don't take care of what God has given us, if we let the land become corrupt, polluted, it's no longer this land of milk and honey. It's in a way, we see it, this, the blessing that God has given us because of our disobedience in many ways that it is not like it used to be. This day, the Lord your God has commanded you to do these statutes and judgments you shall therefore keep them and do them with all your heart and with all your soul. So that's, that's a, those are, uh, he who comes to God must uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. Those two things, you know, the spirit is what mo moves us. Uh, there are, uh, you know, like football teams, uh, athletic teams, they have this spirit, this pride that they use to help them to become alert, help them to become uh, more energetic toward the, their feelings for a certain thing. Verse 17, you have avouched the Lord this day to be your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord has avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people as he has promised you that you should keep all his commandments and to make thee high above all nations. We know that Satan walks about as a boring line to seek whom he may devour, to see if he can change someone's meekness into a self-centeredness or aggression. We read about in Zephaniah 1, there was this word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah. And I won't read all of, the, all of this, but if you go through verses 2 through 11, we see that there is a, a tearing down of all that they worked for because they were worshiping idols, other gods. And the marketplace there became a crash. And businesses were wiped out. And in verse 11, Zephaniah says, How ye inhabitants of Maktish, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time, I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord Will, do, will not do good, neither will he do evil. So this punishment is upon those who are of this uh, spirit <coughs> of complacency. 
Verse 13 talks about uh, their goods will become booty to someone else. Their houses are desolation. They'll build houses but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. In verse 14, Zephaniah says, The great day of the Lord Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, it says. And it gives all these other troublesome uh, details about distress and wasteness and desolation of darkness and gloominess. So Zephaniah's message to the meek. After having you know, read all this of God's anger upon Judah, he brings good news and hope to that which is ahead. And the purpose of Zephaniah is not to cause any lingering despair, but to call attention to where we are as holy people. And he calls to repentance and to be steadfast, to remain steadfast in obedience to God. Remember the Bible commentator Matthew Henry. He stated that Zephaniah's word from God was not to scare people out of their wits, but to scare them out of their sins. So a lot of prophecies, when you read about them, they always have a lot of bad things that are going to happen, but they conclude with what uh, people hope for in the end and for the lessons that are to be learned in between. Again in Zephaniah chapter 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So we see here these things that have wrought the judgment of the Lord. Those who know him and are are in obedience to him are to remain so doing. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek to be humble. You know, humble is the opposite of of, uh, pride. We've probably heard and read that one-third of the Bible is prophecy. But Jesus warned that before his second coming, there would come false prophets that shall deceive many. But how will we know who to listen to? One has to be familiar with the words of the Bible, what it says, what it teaches, as it is written. You see that expression, as it is written. The plain language of the Bible tells us if we have a question. Isaiah, again, verse 8. When they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, looking for answers, looking for how to behave in life, seek God and his righteousness. Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So even then, though, misreading or misinterpretation of prophetic scriptures does happen. But as it is written means exactly what it says about a subject or a topic. Now there have been many prophets who have mistaken the word of the Bible and made predictions 
about the end of the age causing people to fret and, and to fear. In a book I read a long time ago, I forgot the uh, publication and the author, but it was reported that a man by the name of Montanus in 156 A.D. Uh, predicted the end during his time. Well, that was a long time ago. Then in 1503, Nostradamus predicted the end will come in the 1990s or early 2000s. Jehovah Witnesses predicted the Battle of Armageddon and the world as we know it would end in 1914 or 1975. And in a Worldwide Church of God booklet, some of which I know I've read, uh, 1972 would signal the end. When 9-11 happened, a lot of preachers preached the end was near. They all meant well. It just wasn't the time. But God is merciful. We remember that. He is slow to anger. And he can withhold judgment and all be according to his will. Remember Jonah predicting the fall of Nineveh. But they were spared. But we know that Jesus said there is a day coming when the days will be cut short lest there be no flesh saved. And that speaks of a time when the whole world, not just a region, is having conflict like we see today. Amos chapter 5, verse 6. Seek the Lord and you shall live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Bethel means, you know, the house of God. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Malachi 3 prophesies of a time coming. Behold, I will send my messenger, verse 1. He shall prepare the way of the Lord, or the way of the Prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you sh seek shall suddenly come in his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide the day of his coming? When that day comes, will we abide? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. On down to verse 4. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. As in the days of old. As in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers. The adulterers. False swearers. Against them that oppress the hireling his wages. The widow. The fatherless. That, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. <coughs> the day of the Lord, verse eight, let's see, verse 18. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. The day of the Lord... The day of his wrath is coming when, when that man of sin is revealed. Desolation of abomination spoken of by Daniel shows up in the holy place. 
when some sort of piece of cord is, is signed that will pave the way for the building of that temple for the sacrifices to begin again. I don't know how accurate this is, but recently read that there are priests who have been trained in order to conduct those sacrifices that five, you know, they need the uh, red heifers. Five, five, they have five of them, but between now and Passover, they want to be sure that it is perfectly red because not one hair that is a different color will be, could ever be used. But we always hear around Passover the cry that today is the day, that this is the year. So every year they're thinking that at this time, the temple, the sacrifices will begin anew. So we're not far from Passover, the days of unleavened bread, but it is time we can start to examine ourselves, to seek now to do good. We are holy people called to be king and priest, to teach the holy way of the Lord, and are we living up to that expectation? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which ye have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It, sh shall be, it may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Be ye holy, says the Lord, for I am holy. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I haven't, didn't read all the scriptures. I wanted to keep it before we get three o'clock, so almost there. Uh, close with First uh, Peter, chapter one. Obey God. Be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, as He Himself said, "You must be holy, for I am holy." That's just a uh, paraphrase of that scripture, but I think I have time to go to that First uh, Peter chapter 1 because I didn't write that down in my outline. First Peter. Ten pages are hard for me to you know, turn through. First Peter 1. Let's go to verse 13, if you have your Bible. Verse Peter 1. says to gird up your, the loins of your mind, to be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 